Okay, this morning, we're going to read together from Mark. Mark chapter 2. But before I start, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It's on page 1002 of the Bibles that you were given as you came in the door. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some people came, bringing to him a paralysed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralysed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors... They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. morning. My name is Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. Uh, Would you pray with me? Our God who gave us life, help us to know that you're not distant and unknowable, but that you've made yourself known and opened one true and glorious way for us to live with you forever. Through Jesus, your Son, who is one with you. Amen. 
How is Christianity any different from other religions? That's our question today. And like all the questions that we've looked at in this big issue series, it's not as straightforward as it seems. It's complex. And it's complex because it kind of depends on how you ask it. So I was asked this question by one of the mums at playtime. Uh, there was a rare moment one morning when my daughter Naomi was very happily playing along with another child, rare moment, um, and I was able to have this conversation with this other parent. And eventually she asked this question, so how is Christianity different? You know, she was genuinely interested. She actually had no idea and wanted to know. Um, she thought, you know, well, each people group in the world seems to have their own religion. Aren't they just basically the same thing? just with their own different names for, for, for different things. It's a fair question, isn't it? Aren't the religions, and you may have heard this analogy before, aren't the different religions just different ways up the same mountain? You can go this way, you can go that way. There's a mountain, you know, we're all at the bottom trying to get to the top, and some people call the top heaven, others call it nirvana. They're just different names for the same thing. But you can also ask this question, in another way. You can ask this question in a way that's more of an assertion, a statement, rather than a question. Like some of my old engineering colleagues, you know, how's your religion any different from others? They weren't really interested in finding out the answer. They had already decided that they weren't religious, but they were happy for people like me um, to worship whatever I wanted, as long as it didn't interfere with them and their life, cho life choices. And so for them, and for many people I think nowadays, it's not like a mountain, it's a bit like a shopping mall. Uh, a shopping mall, the people that want religion can go over there to that part of the shopping mall and shop in all the religion shops. And there, there's a shop for Christianity, there's another shop for Islam, there's another shop for, uh, for Buddhism, and you know, that kind of thing. But if you don't want religion, then you have the rest of the shopping center, the shop, rest of the shopping mall to shop whatever you want, and there's a different shop for whatever different lifestyle you want. Life is like a shopping mall, and as long as each shop sticks to its own, you know, shop boundaries and perimeters, then everyone's happy. Don't try and sell your stuff in someone else's shop. That's how many people think about religion in our world today. And making exclusive claims like this religion is the only true one, and all other beliefs and religions are wrong, well, that's... That's a bit dangerous, you know, stick, stick to your shop perimeter. And look, I can get where that's coming from. You know, we don't want religious violence, uh, and you know, we should be. And I'm deeply saddened by the horrible things that have happened, uh, things that have been falsely claimed to be done in the name of Christ, for example. We don't want that. But at the same time, it doesn't make sense logically to just solve this potential problem for religious violence. The solution is not to say that all religions are just the same. Because if you actually looked at each one, they contradict each other. So to extend this mountain illustration, it's like each path up this mountain has a sign saying that this is the only true path, and all the other paths won't be able to get you up that mountain. Each of the religions themselves make exclusive claims. And so Buddhism was started by a Hindu priest, uh, prince who found problems with Hinduism. That's why he started Buddhism. Another example, other religions, many religions have multiple gods, and yet others, so Christianity, Islam, Judaism, claim that there is only one god. And so it's a little careless 
and maybe a little bit disrespectful to say that all religions are just the same. You're effectively saying there's no truth, no one can have exclusive claim to the truth, which actually, if you think about it, is an exclusive claim to know the truth. It just doesn't logically make sense to say that all religions are the same. There must be a truth. Now, my goal today is not to... I'm not, I don't want to trash other religions. Uh, to go back to the shopping centre analogy, I'm not going to be a shopkeeper that throws eggs at all the other shops. What I want to do instead is to take you into the shop that says Christianity. I want to take you in and show you around. And I want to show you the heart of Christianity, core Christianity. And when you see it, you see that it just doesn't compare to anything else, anything else religious or non-religious. And there's nothing more core to Christianity than Jesus himself. I want to show you Jesus. Uh, Jill read two stories. We read two stories about Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is one of four accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament. Uh, Mark wrote this account of Jesus around 70 AD, uh, which is less than 40 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. It's also widely believed that Peter, one of Jesus' close friends, Peter helped Mark write this account. But what's important for our question today is that Mark wrote his account of Jesus in a time and place where there were multiple religions and beliefs going around. Jesus of Nazareth walked around in a time and place of different religions. And so these two stories that we'll look at show how Jesus came up against the main religion of his day and place and what its problem with him was. See, Jesus was a problem for religion. And the first problem religion has with Jesus is with his identity, with who Jesus is. And we see this in the first story. So let me read verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Uh, Jesus returns to Capernaum. This is a little fishing village uh, in the Sea of Galilee, not very far from where Jesus actually grew up in Nazareth. And so in verse 1, we're told Jesus is a bit of a local hero. And he's a hero because back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus had healed someone, in, uh, healed someone with the evil spirit in this very village in Capernaum. And so his stock was rising. He was getting popular. So popular that this crowd, a large crowd, had gathered in this little house where Jesus was. And this, we're told, uh, becomes a bit of a problem for the people that comes next in the story. So verse 3, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. These guys here, they make a bold move to break through a roof to lower their friend down to meet Jesus. But even this part of the story is not as bold and as shocking as what happens next. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine? waiting hours to see a doctor and when they finally see you instead of treating whatever you're sick with or you know whatever you're hurt with instead of that they say to you i forgive you you'd be like hang on what 
What did you just say? What did Jesus just say here? See, many people approach religion therapeutically. What do I mean by this? Well, so if I have a sore tooth, I'll go see a dentist. If I hurt my hamstring, I'll go see a physio. If I have a problem with my body and I don't know who to see, I'll go see a GP. Uh, if I have a deeper problem inside myself, a problem, you could say, in my soul, I might go to religion. If we have a problem within us, if we aren't able to find you know, happiness or meaning in life, we might look to something like religion, whatever that religion might be. Now, I think this has kind of changed throughout history. In the past, people looked to religion to explain the world. But now that we can think that we can explain the world without religion, many people look at religion and go, well, what's, you know, why do I need that? And yet, the stats say the vast majority of the world is still religious. So how do you reconcile these two things? Well, one answer that I think has come up in the West particularly is what I'd call therapy. Religion exists for those of us who need to solve an inner problem in our lives, to fix ourselves, to make us happy. The problem is inside, and we look to something like religion to solve this. It's a bit like this paralyzed man. He had a problem. His body was broken, and that must have made him unhappy. And so he approaches Jesus, this so-called religious leader. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with this. Jesus doesn't turn this man away. Jesus actually commends their faith. See, they had trusted in Jesus that he could fix their friend. You can approach Jesus with your problems. In fact, many of us came to Jesus with maybe a problem in our life. And Jesus doesn't reject us. He won't reject us for that. He welcomes us. But he might surprise us as well, like he surprises this man in verse 5. Son, your sins are forgiven. See, for Jesus, the biggest problem this man had was not whether he could stand on his legs or not, but where he stood before God. For Jesus, our greatest problem is not within us. Our greatest problem is our separation from God, the God who had made us. That's what Jesus in the Bible calls sin. Sin is more than just the bad actions we do. Sin causes these bad actions we do because sin is a rejection of God. It's a condition in our hearts that has rejected God, chosen to ignore him, and separated ourselves from him. That's our biggest problem. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, later on in Mark's gospel, Jesus says something very, very hard. Very hard. It's better for you to enter life, eternal life, crippled, than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. He, you know, you won't be crippled in heaven. You have new bodies. Jesus clarifies that elsewhere. But he's exaggerating here to make a point. To be separated by God is far worse than to be crippled. Our biggest problem is sin. We need God's forgiveness more than we need healing. And Jesus forgiving this paralyzed man here was the very problem. That was the problem that religion had with him that day. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These religious leaders had a way of seeing the world that said, yes, the biggest problem between God and humanity is sin. And they also had a conviction that only God could forgive sin. Sin is an offense done against God. And so just you know, just like I can't forgive you if you wronged Sam, for example. No one can forgive 
uh, sin except for God. It's an offense against God. And notice what they're accusing Jesus of, of blasphemy, of claiming to be God. Their problem with Jesus was that he's claiming to be God himself. Jesus knows what they're thinking, verse 8, and he responds in verse 9. And to show everyone that he's not just talking rubbish, verse 10, but I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Instant healing. This is the story. Instant healing of a condition that's still incurable today. Jesus heals this man's paralysis with just one sentence. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. 2,000 years on, 2,000 years of human progress, and yet if this miracle that Jesus did was performed to us today, we'd still get the exact same reaction. No one has ever seen something like this before. No one has ever done this. Who is this person who can just speak and instantly cure a paralyzed man? Well, it's the same one as the only one who can forgive sins. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's the point of this story. And that's the problem that religion has with Jesus. But it's not the only problem that religion has with Jesus. Mark's story continues. And again, uh, Jesus is teaching a large crowd, uh, verse 13. And despite the thousands of people that would have been there that day to see Jesus, Jesus was actually looking for one person. Verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting there at the tax collector's booth. It's incredible. In this crowd of people, Jesus saw, Jesus looked for Levi. And it's interesting because Levi was a tax collector. And to be a tax collector for Rome at that time, it was the moral equivalent of being a mobster. Uh, my uncle in Hong Kong, he's a retired policeman. And I remember him explaining to me how the triads used to work. Um, these gangs, they would have an area and all the businesses in that area had to pay extortion fees to, to the triads to keep out of trouble. If you didn't pay up, you'd be in trouble. And so the big boss would send all his minions, the gangsters, out to collect the money. And these gangsters, they would often demand more than the actual fee, and they'd pocket some for themselves. And that's effectively what a first-century Roman tax collector did. They stole money from their own people to give to the Romans, and they'd also pocket a lot for themselves. They got rich, very rich, from being government-endorsed thieves. And so you couldn't get much lower on the moral ladder than tax collector. And so the shock of this story is that out of the thousands of people that Jesus would have seen that day, he was looking for Levi, the tax collector. Follow me, Jesus says to him. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my friend. And Levi got up and followed him. Instant response. Why, why does Levi do that? Why does he just give away his job and go and follow Jesus? Well, the reason why Levi did that is the same reason why Jesus gets into trouble with the religious leaders again. And so verse 15, the scene changes now to Levi's house. There's a big party. Uh, and, but notice who's at the party. There's Jesus. There's his disciples. There's Levi. And also many tax collectors and sinners. 
and verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's their problem with Jesus? It's because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's associating with sinners. He's welcoming sinners. You don't eat dinner with people you don't like. You have dinner with people who you want in your life. And this is what their problem with Jesus is. You see, we all draw lines around people. You know, we all draw a line and say that there's good people on this side and bad people on this side. There's people I want to be with on this side and people I don't want to be with on that side. We all draw lines. And do you know what? Religion does this even more so. Religion's all about drawing lines. It's all about separating people who are good, people who aren't, people who are welcome and people who are not. But can you see that that's not Jesus? Jesus specifically looked for Levi. And Jesus specifically went to Levi's house to hang out with all his bad friends, all his friends that religion didn't welcome. And he did that, Jesus did that, to say that God's kingdom is for people like these. God's kingdom is open for everyone. There are no lines drawn. Don't draw lines. Verse 17 is his challenge to these religious leaders. Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Everyone is a sinner, Jesus is saying, even you. Being religious doesn't make you good, he's saying to them. And until you can see that, until you can see that you need my forgiveness as much as the same forgiveness that I gave to that paralyzed man, until you can see that, I'll always be a problem to you, Jesus is saying. Religion has a problem, not just with who Jesus is, but also with what Jesus came to do. And what did Jesus come to do? Verse 17, Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came to call sinners back to God, to forgive them, to save them. Back to this mountain analogy. It's like religion gives a pack to people at the bottom of the mountain. And religion says, in this pack is all, you know, all the help you need to, to make your way up that mountain. It will, get, it will help you. And religion just kind of leaves you and leaves you to get up the mountain yourself by your own effort, by your own merits. You know, go make your own way up the mountain, religion says. What will happen is that some will climb better than others. Some will climb faster and better than others. Some will be left behind. And some, like the tax collectors in this story, they won't even be able to get off the bottom of the mountain. They won't even have the strength and privilege to be able to open their packs. Religion won't help them at all. Religion just, just grades people on how well they climb, how close they can get to the top. But here's the thing, no one can get to the top no one can get to God by themselves. Religion can't get you to God. But notice the word that Jesus says in verse 17, come. Jesus has come. Jesus, who is God himself, has come down. He has come down the mountain. Why has he come? Who did he come for? He came for people who had turned away from him. He came for people who were helpless. He came for people he loved. He came for people who were sinners. He came for all of us because we're all sinners. Friends, this is why Christianity is completely different. 
the Apostle Paul, who was actually one of the religious leaders who turned and he realized that he too needed Jesus. He says this, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And later on in the same letter, he says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one way to get to God, it's through Jesus. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to get to God, only one way to eternal life. It's not via your own means, not via your own efforts and merits and strength. It's not via a religious institution. The only one who can bring you to God is the one who came down himself to save you, to bring you back to God. It's only through Jesus Christ. So how's Christianity any different? And I wonder if we ask Jesus that question, how he would answer it. And I wonder if Jesus might say something similar to what he said to Levi that day. He said, come, follow me. Come and follow me and you'll see just how different I am. This is kind of the story of one of my friends. Uh, one of my friends, she's now a pastor at North Light Anglican in West Linfield. Um, and this is her story, she was going through a period of life where she just couldn't shake off the thought that God was real. But her question was, which God? And so this is what she said. I sat in my room looking up different religions online. As I learned about the various religions, I kept getting stuck. Each one was based on what a man said about God. But who was right? But as she looked, she said, at Jesus and Christianity, it was just so different. And she says, God becoming a human God loving bad people, God dying for bad people. That's not how I would have done it. And after reading more about Jesus, and particularly his death and resurrection for us, Jess decided to give her life to Jesus. Like I said, I'm not here to disrespect other religions. But I do want to say, if you can find someone more compelling, more powerful, more kind, more loving than Jesus Christ, then yeah, you should go and follow and worship them. But if you can't, come, follow Jesus. <laughs>